Well, one of the most well-known songs of the last 50 years is undoubtedly Lean On Me. You probably know it. Lean on me when you're not strong. I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. Now, the popularity of that song is certainly not because of my singing of it, but it does come from its catchy tune. I'm assuming that no matter where you're from, you have probably heard that song before. But it's also so popular because it captures a universal truth. That is that we need the support and encouragement of others. And in fact, the man who wrote the song, a man by the name of Bill Withers, he wrote it after moving from a, a small rural town in the United States where he had many relationships, where he felt like anyone could turn to their neighbor and find help and assistance. Well, he moved from a town like that to the large city of Los Angeles, where he did not know anyone, and it seemed as if no one had the time to care for one another. Although the popularity of that song is evidence that we all recognize the need that we have for encouragement. This is something that is recognized in many areas of life. Childhood experts will say that providing encouragement to children is an important part of their development. How many of you want your, your boss or your coworkers to give you a word of encouragement when you have done a, a job well? How much did our isolation during COVID show our need for the encouragement of others? Friends, we all need encouragement. We all desire encouragement. But though I, I think we all recognize this, I also think that there is a, a common belief or attitude among Christians that we don't really need encouragement in the Christian life. Many Christians think, or at least act, as if they can live the Christian life alone. They show up to church when it's convenient, when work is not too busy, or they're not too tired, or when there's not something else going on. They don't really believe it's all that important. When they do show up to church, they, they don't see the importance of getting to know the other people there. They don't see the need to join the church. Friends, at its heart, church membership is, is to make a commitment of love. To, to make a commitment to love and encourage the other members of the church. And they give them the freedom to do the same to you. But many Christians do not see a need for church. And they certainly do not see any importance in fellowshipping with other Christians throughout the week. Though they may not say it, there's an unspoken belief that they do not need others and that others do not need them. Well, friends, Paul takes a, a sledgehammer to that type of thinking in our verses this morning. We'll be studying Colossians chapter two, or, sorry, Colossians chapter four, verses two through 18. This is going to be our last sermon in the book of Colossians. You can go ahead and turn there. You can also find those verses in the bulletin. But in these verses, Paul shows the importance of encouragement in the Christian life. He shows you your need for encouragement. He shows you your need for the church. So please follow along as I read, starting in verse 2 of chapter 4. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Tychicus, 
Our dearly loved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and so that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so does Jesus, who is called Justice. These alone of the circumcised are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea and for those in Hierapolis. Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas send you greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her home. After this letter has been read at your gathering, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Friends, the main idea of this passage and therefore this sermon is this. You need the encouragement of others to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You need the encouragement of others to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, and they need your encouragement to do the same. I have two points to help us consider that idea this morning. The first is your need of encouragement, and the second is the means of encouragement. Your need of encouragement and the means of encouragement. So first, your own need of encouragement. Uh, Before we, we seek to understand our need for encouragement, It's important that we understand just what biblical encouragement is. Well, one author defined it this way. Encouragement is not flattery or crafting words simply to make someone feel good about themselves. Encouragement is not taking responsibility for making someone happy. Encouragement is not telling someone only what they want to hear. Rather, encouragement is coming alongside of someone to offer the comfort, counsel, and consolation of the gospel. Another author defined it this way. Encouragement is shared with the hopes that it will lift someone's heart toward the Lord. It points out evidences of grace in another's life to help them see that God is using them. It points us to God's promises that assure us that all we face is under his control. Friends, in other words, encouragement is explicitly God-centered. It focuses on his person and his work in the world. It focuses on his work in your life and in the lives of others. It seeks to provide comfort and counsel with the truths and the, the promises of Scripture. Those are the things we're to put our hope in. That's what we were singing about with for all the saints that are our hope of eternity, the promise of eternity. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul writes this. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, 
so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Friends, Paul commands Christians to encourage one another because we have obtained salvation in Jesus Christ. That is both the motivation of our encouragement, that's the reason we are to encourage, but it's also the content of our encouragement. It's the truth that we encourage one another with. If you really stop to think about it, Christians do not have need to be discouraged. Christians do not have need to be discouraged. Our biggest problem has been solved. We have obtained salvation in Jesus Christ. We have the hope of eternity. There's going to be a day when death and sin are no more. And yet, we know the reality of life is that we do get discouraged. Though God saved us, we still battle sin. We experience trials and and sufferings and sorrow in this life. These things may tempt us to doubt God. They may tempt us to to doubt his promises. And so we need to be reminded. We need to be encouraged. So as we turn to our verses for this morning, we see Paul doing two things. We see Paul doing two things. He seeks to encourage the Colossians. And then Paul himself asks for encouragement from the Colossians. He seeks to encourage the Colossians and he asks for encouragement from them for himself. First, Paul looked to encourage the Colossians. Now, the biggest evidence of this is that he wrote them this letter. Remember his desire for them that he mentioned all the way back in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. He, Paul said that this is what he prayed for them. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, God's will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Friends, Paul's letter, this letter of the Colossians, was intended to encourage the Colossians towards those things. But in our verses for this morning, notice that in verse 8, Paul told the Colossians that the reason he sent Tychicus to them was so that, so that he may encourage your hearts. Now, Tychicus was likely the the man who carried the letter to the Colossians, so took it from Paul in Rome to the Colossians in Colossae. So Paul sent the letter as an encouragement. He wrote the letter to encourage and strengthen the faith of the Colossians. But he also sent Tychicus himself to be an encouragement. Now, if Paul had access to Emirates Post, I'm not sure that he would have used it. I don't think Paul just wanted the letter to go to the Colossians. I think he wanted Tychicus and Onesimus to go to the Colossians. Well, beyond that, we see in our verses that all these various people who wanted to send their greetings to the Colossians, they wanted the Colossians to know, they wanted the church there, they wanted the saints there to know that they were thinking of them. They wanted them to know that they were praying for them. They wanted them to be encouraged. But Paul knew that the Colossians needed encouragement, and and he sought to be a channel of God's encouragement to them. He sent them a letter. He encouraged them to pray. He prayed for them. He sent them Tychicus and Onesimus. He passed on the greetings of others to them, all that their faith might be strengthened and that their hearts might be encouraged. But brothers and sisters, Paul did not just recognize the Colossians' need of encouragement. 
He did not just seek to be a channel of God's encouragement to them. Uh, Paul was humble enough to recognize his own need for encouragement. Brothers and sisters, the encouragement in the Christian life should be a two-way street. And so in verse 3, Paul asked the Colossians to pray also for for us, him and those ministering with him, as some of those that he goes on to mention later in the letter. He specifically asked for prayer for his own opportunities to share the gospel. He asked for, for boldness, for prayer for boldness to share the gospel. Paul knew he needed encouragement in his own ministry. In verse 11, Paul talked about how some of his fellow co-workers in the gospel had been a, a comfort to him, how they had been an, an encouragement to him. And in the the last verse of his letter, he asked the Colossians to remember his chains. In other words, he asked them to remember the fact that he was in prison for the sake of the gospel. And he asked them to pray for him because of that. He needed encouragement. He knew he needed encouragement. And friends, we're only going to look at the, the book of Colossians this morning, but Colossians is far from the only place in scripture that Paul reveals his own need of encouragement. Brothers and sisters, if Paul needed encouragement, I am, I am sure that we do too. If Paul asked for prayer, I am sure that we should too. And if Paul took time to encourage others, I'm sure we should as well. If you turn to the book of Hebrews for a moment, I'll go to Hebrews chapter 3 first. If you turn to the book of Hebrews for a moment, we find at least two places the author exhorts the church to encourage one another. Two places the author exhorts the the church there to encourage one another. The first is in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. He writes this, Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there will not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily, while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. I see in those verses that one of the purposes of biblical encouragement is to keep one another from sin, to keep one another from temptation. The author of Hebrews commands us as God's people. He commands us as the church to encourage one another toward holiness so that none of us will turn away from the living God. The reason for this we find in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 3. He writes this, For or because... We have become participants in Christ. In other words, we've been united to him. We have been saved. For we have become participants in Christ. We have been saved if we hold firmly until the end. Until the, sorry, if we hold firmly until the end, the reality that we had at the start. In other words, the reason for encouragement is so that we persevere in the faith. So that we hold firmly to the end. Well, the, the second place that the author of Hebrews exhorts you to encouragement is Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. The author of Hebrews writes this. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Church, you are to encourage one another towards love and good works. 
You're to provoke love and good works among one another. And did you notice that one of the central ways we are to encourage one another? What does the author of Hebrews write? He says it is by gathering together, coming together for corporate worship, singing together, sitting under God's word together, getting to know one another, praying for one another and and with one another. Now, friends, biblical encouragement goes beyond simply gathering together. But brothers and sisters, there is an encouragement that you give to others simply by showing up and participating in corporate worship. This is God's design. There's a reason that God has designed his people to gather weekly in corporate worship to him. And again, like he did in Hebrews chapter 3, in chapter 10, the author of Hebrews points us towards Christ's second coming. He says that you are to encourage all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, well, that day is the day of Jesus' return. Well, it's no surprise then if we go back to our verses in Colossians, in Colossians 4, verse 2, Paul tells the Colossians to be watchful in prayer. He tells them to be watchful in prayer. The idea of being watchful is to, to watch out or, or look out for Jesus' second coming, to be ready. Jesus could return any day, and Christians are called to be ready for his return by putting off sin and putting on righteousness. Well, this is what Paul was commanding the Colossians to pray for in verse 2, that they would be watchful in prayer. It's what he encouraged them to do back in chapter 3, to put off and to put on. Put off ungodliness, put off their earthly ways, and to put on righteousness. Friends, biblical encouragement is not designed to make you feel good or or slightly more happy after you had a bad day. Though I hope it does that. No, biblical encouragement is intended to keep you in the faith. It's intended to encourage you to cling to Jesus when your life seems to be falling apart. To keep you believing when you are tempted to drift away. Biblical encouragement is to help you persevere in the faith. And so brothers and sisters, you need encouragement. And God has given you the church that you might be encouraged. That you might persevere in the faith. And he has given you to one another that you might help others do the same. Friends, for those of you who are are members of this church, who are members of Emmanuel... One of the commitments in our church covenant, which our church covenant is what we commit to do for and with one another as we join the church, as we unite ourselves in pledge, in a a mutual pledge of love to one another. Well, one of the commitments that we make in that church covenant is that we will encourage and build one another up, exercising watchfulness over each other. Brothers and sisters, if you're a member of Emmanuel, you have committed to do that for each and every other member of the church. You have committed to encourage and build them up, exercising watchfulness over them, and they have committed to do the same thing to you. Friends, church membership is not a social status. It is a commitment to seek the spiritual good of your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. You do not join a church for for what you can get, but what you can give to others. It's a commitment of, of love to one another. It's what the the New Testament calls believers to do. They're to join themselves to one another in local churches. Friends, what does biblical encouragement look like? How are we to do it? If we need it, what does it look like? How are we to do it? 
Well, that's where we're turning our attention in the next point of the sermon, which is the means of encouragement. So sermon point two, the the means of encouragement. And I believe that we can identify at least three means or methods or or sources of biblical encouragement from these verses in Colossians chapter four. The first, prayer. The second, God's word. And the third, gospel friendships. Prayer, God's word, gospel friendships. So first, prayer. Now, prayer is what Paul instructed the Colossians to do. Let's look at verse 2. It's also the same thing that Paul asked the Colossians to do for him and his fellow gospel laborers. Look at verse 3. Look down at verse 12. He writes that Epaphras is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that or for the purpose that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. Now, remember, Epaphras is likely the one who planted the church in Colossae. Paul says he is one of you. He's from your city. So so Epaphras planted the church, and then at some point he came to visit Paul in Rome and to bring a report about the church there. What did Paul say that Epaphras was doing for the Colossians? He was praying for them. But not just praying, he he was wrestling in prayer. He had devoted himself to prayer on behalf of the Colossians. And he, he did this so that they would grow in maturity, that they would walk worthy of the Lord and persevere in the faith. He was praying that their hearts might be directed towards the Lord and fixed on the Lord. Friends, he was praying for their encouragement. And brothers and sisters, because God is the God of all comfort, because the, the Holy Spirit is given to be a comforter and encouragement, you can pray hopefully and expectantly that God will use your prayers to encourage the hearts of those to whom you are praying. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says that God is the God of all comfort and he comforts us in our afflictions so that we can be a comfort to one another. We are to be channels of God's encouragement and one of the ways that we can be channels of God's encouragement is to pray for one another. We can pray in hope. We can pray expectantly that God will use our prayers to encourage the hearts of one another. God works through the prayers of his people. Nevertheless, it is even greater encouragement to someone else when you either pray for them in person, not just in the quiet of your home. That's a wonderful thing to do. Pray for one another in the quiet of your home. But I believe it's an even greater encouragement when you pray for them in person or you let them know that you have prayed for them. That is what Paul does. I mean, remember back to Colossians 1. He told the Colossians how often he prayed for them. He told them exactly what he prayed for them. He was telling the Colossians here that Epaphras prayed for them. He was telling them exactly what Epaphras prayed for them. And he did these things to encourage them and to build them up. Friends, praying is good. Praying for one another is wonderful. What's even better? Telling each other that you are praying for one another. Praying for one another in person. Uh, There's a man from our former church in the United States who who prays more than anyone else I've I've ever met. He gets up in the very early hours of the morning to pray. He spends hours in prayer in the morning. He is a man that you could rightly say is, is devoted to prayer. But he's not just devoted to prayer. He is devoted to encouragement. He often sends messages to the people he prayed for to let them know how he has been praying for them. Even now... I typically get a message from him at least once every two weeks letting me know how he is praying for me 
and then asking me how he might pray for me the next time he prays for me. It's, it's a tremendous encouragement. And my sister, she, she just had some serious surgery for, for cancer this week. He texted me to let me know he was praying for my sister. And then he asked for my parents' phone numbers so he could text my parents, who he does not know, to let them know that he was praying for my sister. He's a man that is devoted to encouragement. Every so often I get a text from one of you letting, you, letting me know that you are praying for me. Brothers and sisters, that is a tremendous encouragement to me as well. Now friends, if, if we're going to be an encouraging church here at Emmanuel, we must be a church that is devoted to prayer. So friends, let me, let me encourage you to ask people after service how you can be praying for them. Perhaps stop right there. Pray together after the service. You just stand right where you are. Pray for one another after the service. I know that will be an encouragement to whoever you pray for. Friends, use the church membership directory throughout the week. If you're a member of the church, you have our membership directory. Well, we intend that to be a way that you can have people's phone numbers if you need to get in touch. But more than that, we hope that it will be a prayer guide for you. That you'll open it up during your morning devotions and you will pray for one another. But perhaps do not just pray for those people. Send them a message to let them know that you prayed for them. Friends, this is an area I need to grow in as well. Pastor Ben and I usually pray for members of the church during our elders meeting each week. I usually use that membership directory during my own morning devotions. But I don't think I do a very good job of letting you know that I am praying for you. By God's strength, I want to, to grow in that area. I want us to be a church that encourages one another, that's devoted to prayer, but also that encourages one another, that we're devoted to encouragement. Friends, before we move on from the topic of prayer, I want to briefly examine the content of these prayers. Because what we we see in these verses is something of of a model for the things that we should be praying for one another. This is not all that we should be praying for one another that we find in these verses, but it's certainly some of what we should be praying for one another. At first, as we already saw, Epaphras prayed for the maturity and strength of the saints in Colossae. Back in chapter 1, this is the the same thing that, that Paul was praying for. Second, Paul encouraged the Colossians to be watchful in prayer, to stay alert. They were to pray that they might resist temptation. And third, notice in these verses that Paul asked for prayer from the Colossians for his own gospel ministry. He asked for for prayer that that God would open doors or give opportunities for him and his companions to proclaim the gospel. That's what he means by the mystery of Christ. He means the gospel, the thing that was concealed for generations, that Jesus would send his very son, God himself, to die on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for sin. Friends, the message of the gospel is the message of God's grace. It's a message of God's rescue for sinners through Jesus Christ. God is the creator of the world. He is the the loving ruler of the world. And he created people in his image that they might love, serve, and obey him and offer them his his worship in whatever they do. But our first parents, Adam and Eve, rejected God's loving rule. They sinned against him. And as a result of their sin, all people are born into sin. All are born enemies of God. We are not born mainly good and then get corrupted by society. We are sinners by nature. We are the problem with society. 
But the good news of the gospel is that God sent Jesus Christ, who is both fully God and fully man, to this earth to live the life that he created us to live. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life in perfect submission to the will of his Father. And he died the death that we deserve to die for our sins on the cross. The penalty that we deserve for our rebellion against God, Jesus took on himself. Three days later, he was resurrected from the dead, showing that God accepted his sacrifice for sin. And therefore, all who turn from their sin, turn away, put it off, and put on righteousness, that is what repentance means. All who turn away from their sin and place their faith in Jesus will be saved. Friends, faith is believing and acting on God's promises. It's not just a general good feeling. It is believing and acting on God's promises. And that is what we are to encourage one another to do. All who turn from their sins and place their faith in Jesus Christ will be saved. Friends, this is the message of the gospel, and that is the message that Paul asks for open doors to proclaim. Because it is that message that is the only way of salvation. Friends, this is a a wonderful thing for you to pray for yourself and for one another. That God would open the doors for the gospel to be proclaimed. Friends, God does open doors for the gospel to be proclaimed through prayer. But notice, Paul does not just pray for open doors. He also asks for prayer that he would have the boldness and the wisdom to speak the gospel clearly. Or as he says, to make it known as he should. Now we don't want to miss the fact that Paul was in prison at this time on account for the gospel. He was in prison largely due to his own proclamation of the gospel. And yet he's still praying for opportunities and boldness to proclaim the gospel. Brothers and sisters, the truth is that there are open doors to the gospel all around us. What we need more than opportunities, I think, is the boldness to take advantage of the opportunities that God has given. In verses 5 and 6, Paul gave instructions to the Colossians about their own evangelism and interactions with outsiders. By outsiders, he just means non-Christians, those who are not members of of the church, non-believers. And so in verse 6, Paul encourages the Colossians to... Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Well, as one commentator put it, Paul is calling on Christians to speak with their unbelieving neighbors and friends and family with gracious, warm, and winsome words, all with the purpose of being able to answer unbelievers. This idea of of our words being seasoned with with salt is that our our words are are well-flavored. They would, they would taste good to those who are here. They're not harsh and abrasive words. Uh, they're words that are spoken gently and, and kindly. The words themselves may offend, but the way that we say them should not offend. Friends, what we speak matters. We need to speak the truths of the gospel. But how we speak those truths matters as well. In verse 5, Paul instructs the Colossians to act wisely. In other words, to use biblical wisdom on the best way and best time to bring up the gospel in conversation. But friends, when when Paul says to act wisely, when he encourages you to be wise in your own interactions with non-Christians, he is emphatically not saying that you should only share the gospel when you are certain that there is no risk in doing so. He is not saying wait until you're 100% sure that the person that you want to share with is going to graciously listen to you. He is not saying wait until a person asks you just to tell them why your life is different or just ask you to tell them more about Jesus. That's great if it happens. 
It's probably not going to. No, remember, Paul was in prison due to his own boldness in proclaiming the gospel. And he was still praying for opportunities to share. In verse 5, he says that being wise is to make the most of the time. Friends, in other words, to take advantage of the time and opportunities that God has given. Time is short. Life is short. Thought about that from Psalm 90 when Nissen preached a few weeks ago. We're to remember that life is short and Christ is coming back. People need to hear the gospel. And so wisdom is to consider the brevity of life. I believe that far too often Christians use the instruction to act wisely simply as an excuse not to be bold, myself included. A Christian, your life is hidden with Christ and God. Nothing, nothing on this earth can threaten your heavenly existence. You serve a God who controls the universe and to conclude the responses of others. The hearts of kings, shakes, rulers are simply channels of water in his hand that he directs wherever he pleases. He is certainly sovereign over the responses of others when you share the gospel. Friends, that should give you confidence to be bold with the gospel. Yes, be wise. Deliberately strategize about ways you can build relationships and and share the gospel. Ask yourself how you can arrange your life to bring gospel opportunities into your life. But if you're waiting for the stars to perfectly align before sharing the gospel or or inviting someone to church, if you're waiting until you're 100% sure that nothing will go wrong, I don't think that's wisdom. I think that's a lack of boldness with the gospel. Friends, but if you struggle with evangelism, if you struggle with boldness, and I guarantee you we all struggle with evangelism and we all struggle with boldness, what can we do to encourage our hearts? Pray. Ask others to pray for you. Church, please pray for me. Prayer is a means of encouragement. It is one of the primary ways that you can be encouraged in your evangelism. The second means of encouragement that we see in this passage for this morning is God's word. Brothers and sisters, we are to build one another up and encourage one another by instructing one another through God's word. We do it through prayer. We also do it through the word of God. I'm not going to spend long on this point this morning, but I want you to notice that Paul encourages the Colossians by instructing them. As we just saw, he instructed them to pray. He gave them instructions about their own personal evangelism. The whole of Paul's letter, which he wrote to be an encouragement, is instructions to the Colossians, teaching them about who God is, teaching them about how they are to live in light of being saved by God, by being united to Christ. He encouraged them throughout the letter through biblical truth. Notice in verse 16 that he told the Colossians to have their letter read in the church of Laodicea. That was a nearby city to Colossae. They were to read the letter that Paul had sent to Laodicea. So they were to share these letters. They were to encourage one another through biblical truth by sharing the letters. Now, many commentators think this second letter was the letter to the Ephesians, which was meant to be a circular letter that was passed around to various churches. But regardless, we see that they were to encourage one another through God's word. The bottom line is that Paul wanted them encouraged and strengthened. And one of the ways, one of the primary ways that we're encouraged and strengthened by the people of God is through the word of God. Friends, God, God himself is ultimately the source of all comfort. He directs our hearts towards him through his word. 
Encouragement comes from being reminded of who God is. We need to be reminded that he's the God of all comfort in his word. We're to be reminded of his promises in scripture. So brothers and sisters, we seek to encourage one another with the word of God. When we speak to one another, our relationship should have something to do with the word of God. We don't just want to talk about the, the latest sports news or the weather. We'll talk about how God is using his words to encourage you. The, the third thing we see in this passage about a, a means of encouragement is gospel friendships. I, I think one of the, the most obvious features of these closing verses is all the names that Paul mentioned. I'm not going to try to explain who every one of these people are. You can ask me later. But what I, I do want you to see is the importance of gospel-centered friendships in Paul's life and in the life of the Colossians. These friendships were to be a means of encouragement. Friends, we all need someone to lean on. Ultimately, we're to lean on Christ. That's who we're to lean on. We have a friend in Jesus, but he has given us each other and one another to encourage us to do just that. There's a sense that we lean on one another so that we lean on Christ. But just notice how how Paul describes many of these individuals. Verse 7. Tychicus was a dearly loved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant. Onesimus was a faithful and dearly loved brother. We'll get to learn more about Onesimus next week. Verse 11, Paul wrote that Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice had been a comfort to him. Verse 14, Luke, this is the author of the book of Acts and Luke in the Bible. Luke was dearly loved. The language that Paul used to describe these men makes it clear that they had been an encouragement to him. And much of the reason that they were dearly loved by him, much of the reason that they had been an encouragement to him is because they were fellow laborers for the gospel with him. They were co-laborers. They partnered with Paul. They supported him. They were all working together for the glory of God and to see the gospel proclaimed. So verse 7, Tychicus was a faithful minister and a fellow servant. Verse 10, Aristarchus was a fellow prisoner. He seemed to be imprisoned alongside of Paul for the proclamation of the gospel. Verse 11, Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice are called co-workers of Paul. And this verse also makes clear that these fellow gospel workers were both Jew, Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, and Gentile, all the rest. Everybody else except those three were were Gentiles. And so even in these verses, we get a visible picture of gospel unity, that that truth that Paul wrote about in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, that in Christ there is not Greek or Jew, slave or free, barbarian, Scythian, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12, Epaphras was a servant of Christ who clearly labored on behalf of the Colossians as well as those in the surrounding cities of Laodicea and Hierapolis. He was praying for them all. Verse 17, Archippus clearly was a co-laborer for the gospel. Paul wants to see his ministry strengthened among the Colossians. And notice even in verse 16 how the churches in the region were to support and encourage one another. As we already thought about, they were to share Paul's letter among themselves to encourage one another. They were to be friends with one another. There was a partnership between them. It was not a competition between these churches to get the most members. No, they were partnered in gospel ministry. They were faithful churches that wanted to see one another strengthened and supported. Friends, I do not know about you, but I find it very helpful and encouraging and motivating if someone works alongside of me to accomplish a task. 
if I have a, a big household chore to do, I always find it more enjoyable if there's somebody who is willing to, to work with me. Or even if they don't work with me, even if they're just doing another chore alongside of me, it's an encourage to have somebody working alongside of you. That's an encouragement to me. That's what these individuals were doing with Paul. They were laboring alongside him for the gospel. They were, to, they were helping to, to share the load of gospel ministry. Remember Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12 that Juliet read for us. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. We could easily go back and read verse 9 as this. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls or gets discouraged, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls or gets discouraged without another to lift him up. Brothers and sisters, friendship and partnership is an encouragement. The Lord uses others in our lives to strengthen us for the work to which he has called us. To help our work be stronger. To help the work go forward. To be proclaimed to more people. And this is one of the reasons that churches should normally be served by a plurality of elders. But these words are not just for pastors. These words are, are not just for those in full-time ministry. Brothers and sisters, members of Emmanuel, you need these kind of friendships to encourage your own evangelism. To, to grow in the faith. You need these type of friendships to persevere in the faith. And so, brothers and sisters, let me just ask you, do you have friends like this? Do you have friends that encourage you towards faithfulness in the Christian life? Do you have friends that you can take your burdens to and, and confess your sins to? Do you have friends that, that regularly pray for you? Do you have friends that will share biblical truth with you to encourage you or correct you? And friends, if you have these type of friends, do you take advantage of them? I'm going to think about this for in a moment. But do you open yourselves up to those friends? Do you seek a word of encouragement? Do you confess your sins to them? Do you allow them to pray for you? And brothers and sisters, are you this type of friend to others? We thank many of you for, for being this type of friend to us in the two years that we have been here. You've helped us transition to this country and, and grow to love you as a church. And so we are grateful for your friendship. We've been encouraged by you. Now, friends, as we just thought about, if you want to build these type of friendships, you must be willing to make yourself known. If you want to build these types of friendships, you must be willing to make yourself known. To open up your struggles. To, to share your sin. Again, notice the example of Paul. We see in verses 7 through 9 that part of the reason he sent Tychicus and Onesimus to Colossae was to share how he was doing. He wanted the Colossians to know how he, Paul, was doing. He wanted them to know how he was and how they could be praying for him. He knew they would be encouraged to get an update about him, to know how they could be praying, to know how he was doing. But he also knew that he would be encouraged as they then in turn prayed for him. And so back in verse 3, he asked for them to pray in specific ways for him. He opened himself up. Verse 18, he was not afraid to share that he needed encouragement while in prison. 
he asked the Colossians to remember him. He shared his needs and he shared his struggles with him. And friends, remember, these are people that he does not know. He has never met these people in person. He's met a handful of them, but he has never met most of the church in person. And yet he is opening himself up to that church. Friends, if you want to build friendships that will encourage, you must make yourself known. Do not hide your troubles. Do not hide from your sin. Do not hide the things that you need prayer for and would like prayer for. Really, friends, to to hide those things is, is simply a form of pride. You don't share because you're afraid what others will think. Or you don't share because you don't really think that you need their prayers. You don't really need their encouragement. Friends, we all need someone to lean on. We ultimately lean on Christ. We need one another to point us towards Christ. So friends, let me encourage you to find a brother or sister to meet regularly with. Don't be afraid to ask somebody, would you be willing to meet with me once every week, once every two weeks to pray together, to read the Bible together. Let them know what's going on in your life. Allow them to pray for you and encourage you. Not only will this encourage and strengthen you, it will encourage and strengthen them too. Brothers and sisters, to take our needs to one another is not to be a burden to one another. That's what we're called to do as the church of Jesus Christ. This is really just what Christian discipleship looks like. It's not complicated. We're just to pray for one another, to encourage one another through God's word, to be friends with one another who are are open to hear the burdens and the struggles of one another and to point us back to the promises of scripture to encourage our hearts. And biblical discipleship is just helping point one another to Jesus, that we might be encouraged and strengthened. Now, the individuals mentioned in these verses were this kind of friend to Paul. And they sought to be that kind of friend to the Colossians too. They made it clear that they, they, they deeply loved the Colossians. Some of them visited Tychicus and Onesimus. Others that were not able to visit, they, they sent their greetings. They wanted to see the Colossians encouraged. Friends, remember the the main idea of the text. You need the encouragement of others to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And they need your encouragement to do the same. Encouragement is a two-way street. Your brothers and sisters need you, and you need them. And so, brothers and sisters, do not ignore your need of encouragement. Do not undervalue the importance of encouragement and friendship in the Christian life. Do not ignore the importance of joining a local church. We need gospel friendships and gospel encouragement to fight sin, to grow in holiness, to persevere. We we need someone to lean on. We need the church. Remember this type of encouragement? Biblical encouragement is coming alongside of someone to offer the comfort, counsel, and consolation of the gospel. It is shared with the hopes that it will lift someone's heart toward the Lord. It points out evidences of grace in another's life to help them see that God is using them. It points us to God's promises that assure us that all we face is under his control. Friends, this type of encouragement is offered in and through prayer. It is given through the word of God, biblical instruction. And it finds expression in deep gospel friendships that should mark our lives together as the church. Brothers and sisters, God did not intend you to live the Christian life alone. God did not intend you to live the Christian life in your own strength. The whole letter of, to the Colossians is a testimony to that truth. 
the, the power and the fullness of the Christian life is Christ in you. He is the fuel of the Christian life. But one of the things that keeps us clinging to him, one of the things that keeps us reliant on him is the encouragement of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray.